Amen. Let's uh, thank the Lord. The choir has worked hard today, and the praise team and the band have all worked very hard and uh, to put all the music together today. So would you join me in thanking them for the work that they've done for today? Look up, look in, and look out. Isaiah chapter 6, and while you're turning to Isaiah 6, let me mention a couple of things to you. Uh, one is uh, some of the folks that have invested much in us and believed in us, uh, like Warren Wiersbe and Tom Elliff and Ken Jenkins and Ed Litton and Jay Strack and people like that have all asked me to express to you uh, tonight how much they rejoice in what God is doing in our midst. And um, Tom was actually up in Michigan this week when I called him and just walked through some things and asked him to pray specifically about some things. And he was with every person, every member of every team of Life Action Ministries, about 350 people that go out around this country and do meetings to try to bring revival to the local church. And he shared the story with them on Thursday, what I shared with you this morning, uh, because uh, Byron Paulus had asked him to every day give a giving principle. And he said, I wanna give you a giving principle. And he shared the story and he said, there was a stunned silence. Uh, in that room. In fact, these are folks going out and doing revivals, and by Thursday, six of them had come to Christ. Uh, uh, just in the. And I want to ask you to make a priority of Friday at noon. Uh, Thursday night, I will be outside of Jackson, Tennessee at an event with businessmen from around the city where they are trying to unite their businessmen from all kinds of privately owned businesses, corporations, and everything else, where they're trying to unite them to do something significant for the cause of Christ, to use their influence as businessmen. And they've asked me to come up and share with them on Thursday night. So if you'll pray for us as we travel Thursday and then speak Thursday night and then come back on Friday. Uh, I would appreciate it. They're anticipating hundreds of businessmen and, and women from across uh, Milan or whatever it is, Milan or what, what, however they pronounce it. It's kind of like Albany, you know. Milan, it's Milan. Okay, thanks, Katie. I've been corrected. I'll talk to you after the service. <laughs> anyway, there, there are businessmen coming together. They're trying to do a big event to reach their community for Christ. And this is a fundraising event for them and an opportunity for their uh, lay people across the community and across denominational lines to raise some money. So I won't be here, but I need you to be somewhere for me at noon on Friday, okay? Because I can't be there. At noon on Friday, at the new location for Mount Zion Baptist Church, where our co-pastor Daniel Simmons pastors, they are raising the cross on that new facility at noon Friday. They have been writing scripture. It's the cross off their old building on Martin Luther King. They've been writing scripture and prayers on that cross and they have painted it 
And on Friday at noon, they're going to raise it and have a worship service there. And there's no way that I think we could honor them more than if several hundred of us made it out there at noon this Friday. So please, if you would, mark your calendar, show up, congratulate them, love on them, pray with them, praise with them, uh, because this is a significant day for them. The walls are up, the roof is on. Uh, they anticipate moving into that facility sometime in the spring of next year, and they are under budget. And uh, just it's just amazing what God is doing uh, with them and with that church. And I know Daniel would appreciate it. He does not know I'm asking you to do this. Uh, but I'm asking you because they have labored with us and partnered with us on so many things for you to be there and to, to show your support for them. All right, Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8. Let me ask you a question. What do you want God to do in your life? How do you live above the world and yet in the world? How do you function with an unselfing of self, so much so that when you are in the world, you are not of the world. I'm reading a fascinating book right now. Uh, it's called The Whole in Our Gospel. It's written by Richard Stearns. Richard Stearns was the president of Linux, you know, the China. He was the president of Linux, $24 million a year salary, and walked away from it to be the president of World Vision told them no, told them he wasn't the right guy for the job, told him he wasn't qualified, told him everything in the world, but God uh, stirred his heart. And this is a fascinating uh, book calling us to be the church that uh, we need to be. I want to read you something out of it. We are carriers of the gospel. The good news that was meant to change the world. Belief is not enough. Worship is not enough. Personal morality is not enough, and Christian community is not enough. God has always demanded more. When we committed ourselves to following Christ, we also committed to living our lives in such a way that a watching world would catch a glimpse of God's character, His love, justice, and mercy through our actions and our words and our behavior. We are Christ's ambassadors, wrote the Apostle Paul, and though God was making his appeal through us, 2 Corinthians 5.20. God chose us to be his representatives. He called us to go out and proclaim the good news, to be the good news, and to change the world. Living out our faith privately was never meant to be an option. Living out our faith privately was never meant to be an option. In other words, if God is doing a work inside of me, it has to show up outside of me. Amen. It has to be evident to a watching world that just coming to church is not enough, that, that we are to be holy in an unholy world. In fact, one old preacher said that God saved us out of the world so that he could put us back into the world to get people out of the world so they could go back into the world, and that's the only business in the world we've got. God has called us to set our compass toward holiness. And for different ones of us, that means different things because we're different places on the journey. Some of us have been a Christian for just a few weeks or days or months or years, and some of us have been on this journey for decades. And so it's not a matter of where you are on the map. It is a matter of us being on the right road 
and headed for the right destination, that our compass is set toward being holy in God. And so holiness is about progress. It is about moving forward, allowing God to take away those things that are in our lives that shouldn't be and put those things in our lives that should be. It's not about trying to duplicate somebody else's experience. I've recommended a couple of books for you there in your notes, but it's not about you reading that and say, well, I want his experience because God has an experience for you that is different from anybody else in that book because you're a unique person created in the image of God. In fact, one author says the difference between an event and an experience is an experience is an event that gets inside of you. Isaiah was serving in a day of turmoil and crisis, but he got a glimpse of God. I still remember doing a youth camp with Manly Beasley and hearing him say, I've never forgotten it. I didn't even have to write it down. But I've never forgotten what he said. He said, a glimpse of Jesus will save you. But to gaze at him will sanctify you. That's what happened with Isaiah. Isaiah 6.1, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings, and with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, here am I, send me. You cannot say, Lord, send me until you've said, woe is me. Until we realize that we are sinners in need of a Savior and then save sinners in need of God's power, we cannot be sent the way we need to be sent. Nor will we go the way that we should go. We are not self-called and self-motivated. We are Holy Spirit motivated to do what God has called us to do. Uh, when we get a glimpse of God, the one thing it always does for us, it reminds us of how sinful we are and how holy He is. To get in the presence of God makes us aware that I'm not worthy to be in His presence except through the blood of Jesus Christ. And except through his grace. It's like Luke chapter 5 when Peter said, Get away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. In the presence of God, Simon Peter, who had walked with him and talked with him, but when he realized more fully who God was in his presence, he realized there was a great gulf between who God is and who he was. J.C. Ryle, a writer of another age, said, Wrong views about holiness are generally traceable 
to wrong views about human corruption. So I want us to see three things tonight. First of all, Isaiah saw the Lord, verses 1 through 4. Everything changes. He's, he saw the Lord. The throne of Israel was vacant. The king had died, but God was on the throne of heaven and the throne of the universe. He saw God's sovereignty and God's glory. Bruce Walkie says, the train of his robe suffocates every human pretension. Isaiah got up that morning and picked up the paper and read that the king had died. And it broke his heart, it grieved him. But in the moment of his grief, he saw God. He did what we do when we hear of tragedy, when President Kennedy was shot, when Martin Luther King was shot, when Robert Kennedy was shot, when we see tragedy on our streets and in our nation, we go to God in prayer. I remember the night when the Gulf War started and we had just finished prayer meeting that night and I walked off the platform in the old building uh, and, and found out that we had just, that President Bush had just ordered our invasion into Kuwait and into Iraq. And we came immediately back and people started coming back into the worship center and we began to pray because we did not know what we were going to face as a nation. We didn't know what the outcome of that was going to be. And in a time of tragedy, God's people always seem to be reminded we need to go and find out where God is in this. Isaiah looked around him. The government was crumbling and going through a transition and God said, look to me. And if we have a problem, it is that we walk too much by sight and too much in the moment. And until we realize that there's a world that is more real than the world we are living in, we will never see the world we are living in the way we need to see it. Because we need the eternal perspective that God reigns and rules over all this world. Holiness is something that I find lacking in the church today. We have secret disciples. John chapter 12, he quotes Isaiah and he talks about the fact that they would not confess him. And we have a problem with undercover agents and secret disciples in the body of Christ today who have church memberships but do not proclaim him without apology as their Lord and as their Savior. And yet salvation is a confessing of Christ as Lord. It is an undeniable commitment. It is not an optional stance. Isaiah saw the Lord on the throne and the byproducts of this kind of sight, of this kind of holiness, first of all, is pure and undefiled worship. When we see the Lord, we want to worship him because we realize that he alone is worthy of worship. Not the things, not the stuff, not our events, not our church, not our programs, not our preachers, he alone is worthy of worship. And when we get a view of God, we realize that loving God for who he is is the issue, not loving God for what he does, but just for who he is. God is good if we'd have made no announcement today. He's still good. Amen. And he's still God, and he is still worthy of our praise. I love this quote by Martin Luther. You ought to write it down. Live as if Christ died yesterday, rose this morning, and is coming back tomorrow. Live as if Christ died yesterday, 
rose this morning and is coming back tomorrow. Isaiah saw the Lord. Secondly, he saw himself the way God saw him, verses 5 through 7. He said, woe is me. He was uh, conscious of things he was previously unconscious of. He, he saw his life in a way that he had never seen it before. I'm not talking about a guy who was neurotic and was doing a spiritual autopsy on himself. I'm talking about a guy who realized when he saw the Lord that he was not what he thought he was or what he thought others thought he was. He was what God said he was. A man of unclean lips who dwelt among a people of unclean lips. Woe is me. I'm undone. I'm coming apart at the seams. There, there's, there's nothing about me that is worthy to, to be in the presence of God. And yet, here's where I find myself. Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. One of the reasons why we have refresh every year is to examine our lives. We should do it every day. We should do it every week. But one of the reasons we have refresh and one of the reasons why revival is needed is that we need to examine our lives in light of who God is. And when we do that, we realize that things have gotten attached to us like barnacles on the side of a ship that need to be scraped off and it needs to go in dry dock for a while to, to get a fresh coat of paint and to get a scrubbing and to, to get these things that have just leached onto us. We need to get those things off of us so that we can sail ahead the way God wants us to. So here is Isaiah who saw God the way he really was. Thomas Brooks says, a holy person looks upon his sins as the crucifier of his Savior. The most holy people I've ever met were the most humble people I ever met. Now I've met some people who thought they were holy and they were proud of it. In fact, they were so holy that they would tell you how holy they were. But you know, holy people are more conscious of their sin than they are of their growing holiness because they realize the closer they get to God, the further they have to go. Because it's not a target, it's not a destination, it's a pursuit that never stops as long as we live. Let me ask you a question. How does God get you to see him? Does God get you to see him by just a still small voice, by a whisper, by something in the word? Does God get you to see him by a still small voice or does God get you to see him with a sledgehammer? The only way he can seem to get your attention is when he knocks you over the head. And then you wake up and go, Lord, was that you? <laughs> How does God get to speak to you? Is it that you're listening and longing and looking for him to see and to know what he has to say? Or is it that he has to take you through adversity? to get your attention. I meet a lot of believers along this journey who wonder why God's not speaking to them. And when you start talking to them about what God is trying to say to them, they have their fingers in their ears because they don't really want to hear because it will require too much adjusting and too much change.
we talk about this a lot, so I don't have to dwell on it a great deal. I think the reason that our power in our churches is lacking is because of duplicity. We have a Sunday theology, and then we have a Monday through Saturday methodology and lifestyle. And sometimes they don't match up. Our conduct is good, but our character is questionable. And you meet people all the time. If you talk to people about the Lord very much, here's what you're going to hear from them. Well, I knew some people that went to so-and-so church, and they didn't pay their bills, and they didn't do this, and they never left a tip, and, and they were ugly, you know, when I, they did business with me, and I don't want anything. If that's what Christians are like, I don't want anything to do with them. And you know what that is? That's a sign of an unholy person no matter how they act at church. When the world says, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want anything to do with it, you got a good indicator that that's not Christianity being lived out on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, the world's watching us. Why is it that people that believe in false gods seem to have more dedication to their false gods than we do to the one true God? Why is it they bow down and face five times a day and pray and stop everything they're doing? Why is it that they are passionate and aggressively evangelistic while the church sits silently in America more lost people in America today than there were yesterday. There'll be more lost people in America tomorrow than there were today. I talked to a friend of mine that just spent five days in London. He said, Michael, it was unbelievable. He said, the Muslims were on almost every street corner with the Koran preaching their gospel and winning converts and having people bow down on the streets and give their hearts to Allah. And I couldn't find a church doing anything. Can I tell you, we're 25 years from that in America, at the most. And we'll all sit around wondering what happened to our country. If the church is not aggressive for Christ, we will be overrun by those who are aggressive for Antichrist. We need to wake up and see the Lord see what he's called us to do and to be consistent. Isaiah saw the throne and he saw the altar. He was convicted and the conviction led to cleansing. Let me give you three quotes. Oswald Chambers said, the holiest person is one who is most conscious of what sin is. The one most conscious of what sin is. Stephen Sharnock said, holiness can no more approve of sin than it can commit it. Chuck Colson said, holiness is much more than a set of rules against sin. Holiness must be seen as the opposite of sin. G. Campbell Morgan, one of the great preachers of the 20th century, used to talk about the church having sins in good standing. In other words, they were sins that we turned our head to in the church and we overlooked in the church because after all, they weren't all those dirty things that all those lost people out there were doing. But here's what Isaiah said. Isaiah's a prophet. He's a spokesperson for God and he says, I am ruined. 
It is a stronger word in the Hebrew than the one used to describe Uzziah who was cut off from the Lord with leprosy. That word, I am ruined, means I cease to be. I am destroyed. The verb depicts a violent judgment. Isaiah said, God has taken me to the ground. God has wiped me out. I am wiped out by the awareness of my sin. I am wiped out by the knowledge of who I am and who God is. I am undone. I am ruined. And only when he got to that point could he get to verse 8 where he saw the world as God saw it. There is a shallow holiness today that lasts about two or three weeks. It happens at camp. It happens in Disciple Nows. It happens after refresh. We get excited and jazzed up for God and people show up for a while and then they're on fire, guns blazing, attack hell with a water pistol. And about three weeks later, the first offer of something that sounds like it's a good deal and a good compromise, they're off and running back in the other direction away from God instead of toward God. Let me just ask you to write down two references here. Deuteronomy 23, 21, when you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for it would be sin in you. And the Lord your God will surely require it of you. Ecclesiastes 5, 4, when you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. God holds us to the promises that we make. Our theme this year for Refresh is look up and go deep because we don't need shallow experiences with God in an age that is so confusing. We need to look up to God and we need to go deep with God. And that's what we're going to do as we move toward Refresh. So we're going to look up and we're going to go deep with Him. Let me ask you to listen to something again from this book, The Hole in Our Gospel. John Ortberg says, American society does not talk about calling anymore. It is more likely to think in terms of career. Yet for many people, a career becomes the altar on which they sacrifice their lives. A calling, which is something I do for God, is replaced by a career which threatens to become my God. A career is something I choose for myself. A calling is something I receive. A career is something I do for myself. A calling is something I do for God. A career promises status, money, or power. A calling generally promises difficulty and even some suffering and the opportunity to be used by God. A career is about upward mobility. A calling generally leads to downward mobility. You see, if you're listening to God, He's got a calling on you. There's a calling for something for you to do. Your job may be to be a plumber or an electrician or an insurance salesman or a thousand other things, but the calling on your life is to be His witness. God called a man named Martin Luther and Martin Luther changed the church we are products of the Reformation. God called a man named John Wesley, and John Wesley saved the nation of England from a civil war. 
God called a man named Jonathan Edwards, and Jonathan Edwards preached one sermon after preaching faithfully for years with no response. He preached a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, and a great awakening began that impacted this nation and affected the founding fathers and everything about the early days of this nation. God called a young dairy farm boy named Billy Graham, and millions of people have come to Christ. But you know, we look at those and we say, man, those are great stories. Those are great people. Boy, look, God raised up another Jonathan Edwards. But you know, somebody prayed for Billy Graham and for Jonathan Edwards and for Martin Luther and for John Wesley. We don't know their names. But their calling was just as real. It just wasn't as public. See, the calling on you is different than the calling on me. But the calling on all of us is the same. For us to respond, woe is me. I am a man who is ruined and unclean. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Let me paint a picture for you. One last thing out of this book. And then I want to read you a quote that will come up on the screen. Whenever a major jetliner crashes anywhere in the world, it is inevitably sets off a worldwide media frenzy covering every aspect of the tragedy. I want you to imagine for a moment that you woke up this morning to the following headline. 100 jetliners crash, killing 26,000. 500. Think of the pandemonium this would create across the world as heads of state, parliaments, and congresses convene to grapple with the nature and causes of this tragedy. Think about the avalanche of media coverage that it would ignite around the globe as reporters shared the shocking news and tried to communicate its implications for the world. Air travel would no doubt grind to a halt as governments shut down the airlines and panicked air travelers canceled their trips. The National Transportation Safety Board and perhaps the FBI, CIA, and local law enforcement agencies and their international equivalents would be mobilized to investigate and dedicate whatever manpower was required to understand what happened and to prevent it from happening again. Now imagine that the very next day, 100 more planes crashed and 100 more the next and the next, and the next. It is unimaginable that something this terrible could happen. But it did, and it does. It happened today, and it happened yesterday. It will happen again tomorrow. But there was no media coverage. No heads of state, parliaments, or Congress stopped what they were doing to address the crisis and no investigations were launched. Yet more than 26,500 children died yesterday of preventable causes related to their poverty. And it will happen again today and tomorrow and the day after that. Almost 10 million children will be dead in the course of a year. So why does the crash of a single plane dominate the front pages of newspapers around the world? Why the equivalent of 100 planes filled with children crashing daily never reaches our ears? Perhaps one reason is that these kids who are dying are not our kids.
there's somebody else's problem. Isaiah said, Lord, here am I. Send me. It was a costly response, if you've read the book of Isaiah. It cost him dearly. It cost him his life. But he responded. And so I want to close with this quote. It'll come up on the screen. This is what it means to be holy yet human. The sob of a thousand million of poor heathen sounds in my ear and moves my heart. I want you to look at them until they appall you, until you can't sleep. Let their desperate plight so grip your heart that you will pray, that you will give sacrificially, that you will say, here, my Lord, send me. Would you pray with me, please? If we're going to be holy yet human, we've got to be about the business that Jesus was about sharing the good news, binding up the brokenhearted, helping the hurting, giving hope to the hopeless, offering a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus. Because the reality is the church doesn't care how much we know. The world wants to know how much we care. We can have our Bibles filled with notes. We can take notes in every service. We can learn the songs and rejoice in our worship. But if we are holy and human, we cannot meet this lost world tomorrow like we met it yesterday. Because we're going to meet people that need to see Jesus with skin on, that need the church at her best. The world at its worst needs the church at her best. I'm not talking about a social gospel like the liberals give who give a cup of cold water and don't give the living water. I'm talking about Christianity that acts like Jesus looks like Jesus, loves like Jesus, lives like Jesus. God has entrusted us with much. But when God says, I'm going to send you, that mission field starts the minute you drive off the property known as Sherwood Baptist Church. When you get in your car tonight and you put it in drive, you will enter a mission field. It may not look like some mission fields around the world, but it is a mission field because 88% of the people in Darty and Lee and Terrell County don't go to any church anywhere at any time. 
We're surrounded by people that need to know that God loves them. So if I'm going to be holy, if I'm going to see the Lord, it's not going to be about me. It's ultimately going to be about a commission. It's a confrontation that leads to a commission. I'm going to be commissioned to go do something, to share with someone, to coach an upwards team, to work in extended care, to help a family, to help in the need, to, to, to walk across the street, to love my neighbor, whatever it is. It's God with skin on. That no longer looks at life as who can help me climb the ladder, but it looks at life as who can I help out of the ditch. Who can I lift a hand down to and lift them up and show them the way to the cross, which is the only hope that they have. We've got some folks that we're going to present tonight in just a moment. I want to ask you to stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. We're going to sing a song of invitation. If you need to respond today, we had four people that responded this morning saying that they needed to follow the Lord in baptism. We had six people this morning that responded saying that they needed to make this church their church home. Maybe you're here tonight and you need to make a decision for Christ. Maybe you need to just come to this altar. Maybe there's a need that you know that you need to be a part of meeting. Whatever it is, our ministers are here at the front. We're going to sing. I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes and shut out everything except you seeing the Lord right now. And when you see the Lord, ask him to give you an assignment tonight. Ask him to give you a job. Ask him to give you a purpose tonight. Something you can do this week, right now. Not a year from now, 10 years from now, but what you can do now for him.